1: Hey WAG listeners, it's Allison. reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all CanadaLand shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts.
0: We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you.
1: Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So
0: sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to CanadaLand.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Allison, what was your first thought when you saw that Integrity Commissioner J. David Wake had christened a character in the Greenbelt saga,
1: Mr. X? Mm, I thought something along the lines of, nice, <laughs> this is good stuff.
0: My first thought was that, like, wasn't that a running joke on Arrested Development? But my memory is not quite what it used to be, and it turns out that was, that was actually Mr. F., My second thought was that it's always kind of wonderful when a public official embraces their own funny little place in history and takes an opportunity to weave a mythology around a moment that demands it. Kind of like the circa 2005 Bellamy report into the City of Toronto's computer leasing scandal, if you remember that, which, which kicked off with that that the report, big volume, kicked off with quotes from like Lewis Carroll and Leonard Cohen and entitled each chapter something uh, self-consciously pulpy. It was some of our city's best municipal writing in the pre-Rob Ford era, and I'm glad that Doug Ford now has his own tome to how much like fiction this could be. And, and the third thing, when we learn that Mr. X was almost certainly a former Clarington mayor named John Mutton, uh, was a particular Seinfeld line. Hey,
1: salad's got nothing on this mutton.
0: <laughs> I mean, I suppose a salad is a green belt of a sort.
1: I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queens Park Today, and I will get your Greenbelt land rezoned for a mere one million dollars.
0: I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land, and I'm sorry, Allison, but I'm afraid I will undercut you by getting your Greenbelt land rezoned for nine hundred ninety-nine
1: thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. God damn it! <laughs> this is Wag the Dog, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. The Ontario legislature is reconvening next week, which has me thinking just how rough of a summer it's been for Premier Doug Ford. I really think he probably had a better summer last year. Yeah, I mean, surely for the premier, it's more fun to
0: spend the summer months quietly plotting to destroy the Green Belt than to be repeatedly kicked in the ass by the consequences of having actually done so.
1: Mm, That's what my grandfather always told me.
0: So what is the significance of the legislature coming back now? Why, Why would this mean anything different from what Ford has faced on and off, or maybe even constantly for the past month?
1: Well, it means it's harder for him and the PCs to be quiet and do nothing. And being quiet and doing nothing has been their preferred strategy when times get politically tough, it's something they were mm-hmm. accused of doing during the trucker convoy and during like the really intense parts of COVID. Although, I mean, as we'll talk about later, Doug Ford hasn't really been like in hiding or anything lately. But once the legislature comes back, unless they do something like pirogue, they will have to show up and face question period and introduce bills and talk to reporters for the next like three and a half months.
0: Yeah, since we last recorded, uh, the Greenbelt scandal has just kept rolling. First, Ryan Amato, the chief of staff to the housing minister, resigned and then the housing minister resigned and then Ford shuffled his cabinet. And now he's promising to review all of the land in the Greenbelt and build modular homes that only cost half a million dollars somehow.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. We'll all soon be living in a modular home with a basement we can rent out and a white picket fence, according to Ford. Do
0: modular homes have basements? I guess anything can have a basement. I mean, once again, Doug Ford has us contemplating how low one can possibly go.
1: But does Doug Ford all of a sudden want government control of housing prices? A planned economy sure sounds like the communist China and North Korea he's always complaining about. Yeah, it's interesting he specifies communist China as opposed
0: to like Republic of China, like Taiwan. Taiwan. Anyway, I do like that his partisan stump speech applause line has been updated of late to, uh, you know, from build a road to the ring of fire to build a road to your modular home on crown (laughs) lands.
1: I guess we'll see if that gets his favorability rating out of the pits. I know, Jono, we don't really talk about polling on this show, but I do think it is notable that the most recent polls show support for Ford is at its lowest in the five years since he's been premier.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've plenty of time to turn that around. I mean, the next election isn't until 2026, so it's a good time to be in the shitter if you're going to be in the shitter at all. But it's also, I guess, nice to see that Ontarians... Are responding to the constant news of everything that's going on um, with appropriate consternation, shall we say.
1: So how much of the integrity commissioner's report on the Greenbelt did you
0: read? Much less than I would have liked. As often I do a control F and look at look at for certain keywords and read the highlights.
1: I feel like you're not the only one on that. Um, Clearly it's like very long. And it also got less attention than the Auditor General's Mm -hmm. report, I think just by virtue of like coming out second. Mm -hmm. But like hot damn, it's a great report. Something like 60 people talked to Integrity Commissioner J. David Wake, including lobbyists, developers, PC staffers, like people we never get to get quotes from, that's for sure. For people who follow Queen's Park closely, it was, like, very juicy. I mean, part of the reason it got less attention, too, is that there's—honestly, I think there's just, like, too much good stuff in it to mm-hmm. summarize. For example, there's a quote from our favorite developer to talk about on this show, Sylvia DeGasparis, saying that a, quote, injustice had been done to him when the Greenbelt was first rezoned his land— and he told the commissioner that he's pestered every chief of staff to every housing minister for like 20 years to try to get that undone. It's like a funny thing that happens in journalism sometimes. If, for example, a news outlet had gotten that quote from De Gasparis like two weeks before, they would have had a big story and we probably would have been talking about it for days. But once in a while, like as with this report, reporters are handed so much on a silver platter that the majority of it just falls by the wayside.
0: I mean, the top line of the report was that Wake found that the now former housing minister, Steve Clark, violated the Members' Integrity Act by failing to supervise the Greenbelt land selection process. The process was, quote, chaotic, end quote, almost reckless and riddled with deception, according to Wake. Amato also told Wake about a meeting he had with Clark and Ford about seeking clarification about how they wanted the process done. But Ford and Clark are denying that meeting ever happened. So that that's a that's a bit less than ideal in terms of like whole, having a coherent conception of of space-time and reality.
1: The question at the center of this whole scandal remains, did the PCs tip off developers about their plan to develop the Greenbelt before they made the announcement? According to the report, the answer seems to be, yes, but also not really. Wake found that a bunch of stakeholders had figured out the plan was in the works, not because they were told directly, but because the, quote, chaotic chief of staff started answering questions about the greenbelt differently and also being over eager to hear developers' plans for it. Which, to developers and landowners and their lobbyists, was enough to know that something had changed— that said, Wake does seem to believe that one developer, Shakir Ramtula of Flato Developments, was tipped off, although the commissioner could not make a definitive finding, like his words, on how. Mm-hmm. Ramtula is notably one of the developers who went to Ford's daughter's wedding last mm-hmm. year, but Wake said it would be fanciful to connect those two things.
0: Meanwhile, a former premier's office staffer-turned-lobbyist, Nico Fadani-Diker, who also attended Ford's wedding, was hired by Greenbelt developer Michael Rice for $10,000 a month to lobby in Caledon and Peel and retained by another developer, Penta Properties, to work on getting Greenbelt properties in Hamilton, Burlington, and Binbrook opened up. I didn't know there was a place called Binbrook. His work included meetings and phone calls with a motto, as well as sending the chief of staff a map of the Hamilton property with the header, Remove from Greenbelt. It was removed the following month. In all this... Latest stuff was happening when Fidani wasn't registered to lobby for any of these companies provincially.
1: Speaking of questionable lobbying practices, there was also the Mr. X of it all. This was the other top-line story, which I know Queen's Park Today reporter Alan S. Hale already covered on shortcuts with Jesse. But yeah, it seems like ex-Clarington mayor John Mudden has been illegally lobbying provincial officials and potentially got an illegal $1 million reward for getting some land in Clarington out of the greenbelt. How long in Ford's premierships did you think it would take before we got to a Mr. X?
0: Well, I would hope I would imagine we'd have Mr.s A through W <laughs> beforehand before jumping all the way down to X. It does make me think. Oh, we should have done this episode on like an ABCs of Ford, and imagine who the person for each letter might have been.
1: F is for Fadani Diker. Uh, <laughs> the other recent news. Yeah, X.
0: Would have, if we'd ever done an ABCs of Ford, X would have been a really tough one to figure out who the heck who That's the X true. person. And this just 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 does the Ford Ford uh, alphabet song. Uh, yeah, this this really sort of closes that loop.
1: That's good. All right, we'll keep that in the uh, the bonus episode pile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the other recent news is Global News obtaining Ford's 2018 mandate letters uh, and publishing them mm-hmm. through a series of stories over the past couple of weeks. Called Mandated. Mandated. What did you think of those? I found it underwhelming.
0: Sorry, Global. These are things that. Journalists have been trying to get their hands in these for quite some time. CBC, in particular, is fighting it out all the way up to the Supreme Court, which is, you know, reserved its decision and is in theory deliberating right now over whether the government should be compelled to release these, as the as Ontario's Information and Privacy Commissioner has argued. So the government really, 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 really wanted to keep these things secret. They're just battling it out, and my conclusion from that, I feel like we discussed in some previous episode, goodness knows when, because it's been going on forever, was that oh, these have got to be weird like th- i imagined it was you know in line with like doug ford's first chief of staff dean french who was someone who was as far as anyone knows was even more temperamental and less politically experienced than doug ford i just figured it was just him going off page after page after page and they were terrified of these things getting out instead from what we've seen from them being released they are written in a way that i'd thought from what mandate letters i have seen from we have that we have seen from say from justin trudeau the ones he's released One's directed at his own cabinet members. Or Kathleen
1: I, Wynne did it, too. Or Kathleen
0: Wynne. I assume mandate letters were written that way for the express purpose of being released. They just read basically like, kind of read like a campaign platform restated in the second person. Like, you are responsible for delivering on this, this, and this, and you will do this with the utmost integrity, and then you will do this, this, and this. Thank you, and this is our goal. Like, that's how these read, which made me wonder, like, why were they fighting so hard? Why are they continuing to fight so hard to keep these secret? Because... It's just it's for the most part. I mean, there are little detailed little bits here and there. It's like, OK, it's for the most part, it's what they either what they said they were going to do or what they already, in fact, did.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple answers, potential answers to why they fought mm-hmm. so hard to keep them hidden. One is that they just wanted to, like, say fuck you to the CBC for trying to get them. The other generous reading is that there's, like, precedence for cabinet confidentiality and they want this and, like, most governments want that to, like, remain a thing that they can Mm -hmm. use to not have to tell all their secrets, um, which, like, I mean, fair. Some things do have to be secret at certain times, you know, what goes around a cabinet table, the deliberations for stuff doesn't necessarily have to be public or part of freedom information requests, but also the letters were like typed up and they weren't like part of a cabinet meeting. So that was always kind of like a dubious argument anyways. Did
0: this how they just address each other in private? Then like, I assume that once again, I assume that things were written like this inside government because of the possibility that they could get out Mm -hmm. there, that everything is written with the conscious, with... The fact that they could be released under freedom of information requests or they could be leaked at the top of their mind. And that's why they wrote everything in this formal campaigns, sort of campaign speak. I don't know. It like reads like a press release. And, yeah, it's kind of stunning that an internal communication that wasn't intended to be released or that they were fighting – whose release they were fighting – actually is as dull as... I I don't know. I mean,
1: I guess the thing is also you have to think that if they had lost at a lower court or, like, if the Supreme Court had made a faster decision, Mm. then they, like, could have been forced to put out the newest round of mandate letters and, like, the reason these ones... Seem underwhelming is because they're from 2018. Mm-hmm. So, like, what Doug Ford wanted to do in 2018 doesn't really matter anymore, or it would have mattered if it was really crazy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, I mean, there's some details, like, it refers to re examining the role of mayors in Ontario, which I think, like, if we had seen that, we would have immediately been like, is there going to be strong mayor's powers? But like that doesn't matter now since he already did that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's just like kind of a weird timing. I mean, it's interesting to think about like why did they get leaked right now? Who leaked them? The public service. Mm-hmm. Like weirdly, like not quickly, like other times stuff has been leaked from in the mm. Ford government, which has only happened like once or twice. They acted like very fast and we're like, we're doing a big investigation to leak this like immediately. And then this time they like waited a week and a half to like acknowledge they were doing one. Um, but
0: also realistically, who would, who? how many people in the government, like on the, on the political side or the civil service side.
1: Would have what all have ac- of them? exactly? Yeah,
0: Exactly. Yeah. Right? So So the
1: premier's office says they didn't leak it. Colin DeMello from Global said he didn't get it from the premier's office. So I don't know. We might never know, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, given their information security, I mean, it's quite possible that any one person who's left at any given point could have
1: copied them. Copied all of them. That's the thing. Is like lots of people would have one or two, one of them, right? Like if you worked for a minister, you might have seen... You know, if you work for the environment minister, lots of people probably saw that one. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, who had all 25 or whatever?
0: You can say he didn't get something from the premier's office, but it could have been from someone who perhaps at one point was in the premier's office. Mm -hmm. One more thing in the Integrity Commissioner's report that I feel like kind of captures the mood. One of the properties that got redesignated was a 15-acre parcel of land on Winston Road in Grimsby, which is in the Niagara region. The parcel is owned by a company whose directors include Jeff Pagan, yes, the brother of Steve. When my staff initially interviewed Mr. Pagan, the Integrity Commissioner wrote, he said he had not contacted the province about this property. He said he pushed all the buttons at the town and regional level, but when it came to the province, wouldn't know where to push, and only found out the land was going to be redesignated when it was announced publicly. So maybe, Pagan wondered, the province was doing it because it was acting on a request from the town of Grimsby that was made years earlier. But then the Integrity Commissioner staff found a letter posted on the website of the Environmental Registry of Ontario that was submitted as part of the public consultation on the Niagara region's official plan. The letter, addressed to Steve Clark, asked that the property be redesignated, and the letter was signed by, and that it quite literally bore the signature of, Jeff Pakin. Quote, My staff then brought this letter to Mr. Pakin's attention and asked to speak to him again. He told them that he had not previously seen this letter, but upon making inquiries with his staff, learned that one of them had written this letter and affixed his digital signature to it without his knowledge. Paykins employee told him that she just happened to meet a municipal official around that time who, upon learning of the obstacles they were encountering, suggested they make just such a submission to the province. So the Integrity Commissioner writes, I found it odd that an application be made to Minister Clark requesting a redesignation of this land by a staff member who affixed Mr. Pagan's signature to the letter without telling him about it. (laughs) But I suppose I should not be surprised by the lack of formality with this request, which is consistent with everything that was wrong about this process, followed in the entire manner which is the subject of this inquiry. In other words, this strains plausibility but you know what? The whole thing has been such a shit show that sure, why not? <laughs> why not? And I feel like that kind of summarizes a lot of this. It's like, as we talked about last month in respect of the Auditor General. The auditor General is normally about looking at you know, where processes adhere to. Could processes be improved? But with something as such a free form mess that there is no process, all you can do is sort of throw your hands up and say, sure, why not? I Guess this is something that happened. This makes just (laughs) this makes no more or no less sense than anything else.
1: Yeah, I got to say, I walk away from this reading this report with like a a hundred times more respect for the integrity commissioner. I've like, I don't know if I've ever like talked bad about him, but on this show, but I've like kind of thrown a little bit of shade his way, uh, at least Mm. on like some talk radio I've done because. All of his other reports that I've ever read, and I've read lots of them, ground out with, like, well, the uh, MPP said he was sorry and that he uh, learned from its experience, and I think that's just fine. And, like, they just, like, they all <clears> suck. <throat> and this one is gold. Like, it's so funny. It's <laughs> so in-depth. It, like, acknowledges the weirdness in lots of, like, comical ways. Wait, wait,
0: what's, another, what's another favorite line of yours?
1: Uh, I mean, the fanciful one is really good. For some, the fact that he was the only developer who had his lands removed from the Greenbelt who attended the premier's daughter's wedding is probably enough to point the finger at the Mm -hmm. premier uh, for tipping off uh, Remtula. Mm -hmm. But this fanciful connection is not sufficient for me to leap to that conclusion. Uh, Remtula has a number of contacts in and out of government who Mm may be aware about the potential change. Uh, And then he just like goes on to list all of the people who might have told (laughs) or different ways he might have found out. But I find it more likely than not that someone did. So, that in some ways is like kind of the most damning. Well, hard to say the most damning, but like that's him really saying. Somebody freaking told this guy, but like I, I don't know mm-hmm. how to prove it. And remember that wedding? I won't say it's the wedding. I wouldn't say it was the wedding. <laughs> Other people might think it's the wedding, but not not me. So there's just like lots of ways in the in the report that, yeah, I think <laughs> the um, maybe just sort of mm. ridiculousness of the scenario. Yeah. Uh, and like he he called back people for like separate interviews yeah. a lot of times. So there's like a few incidents incidents where he's like. Well, I asked him these questions this time, and he said this, and then he came back, and I said, well, why? <laughs> he told me a different story, and I said, why'd you say that? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> Stay awake. Stay awake.
0: On this show, we've often talked about the difference between campaigning and governing and how there's little necessary overlap between the skills that each demands.
1: As such, it's never surprising that Doug Ford often seems to be stuck in permanent campaign mode, as that's kind of where his skills Shine, and he's just a lot better at talking about things and telling people he's going to do things than doing them a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, but recently this has reached a new level of. Let's see, what would the I don't know what's the noun form of "don't give a fuck"? What would the what would the, the right words be? Um, enthusiastic insouciance, vigorous indifference zealous obliviousness? I don't know. Like in the wake of the, the, you know, the AG's report in mid-August, Doug Ford made himself available to reporters a couple of times. And then again, twice more in the wake of the Integrity Commissioner's report at the end of August. And reporters, for the most part, asked many excellent questions about the scandal and just what it would mean for Doug Ford to actually accept responsibility for it and not just to assure us that he has. But Ford took full advantage of the fact that these press conferences were being broadcast live to talk about anything other than the questions that were actually put to him.
1: It's nothing new for a politician to pivot in response to a tough question. That's almost a given at this point that that's something politicians do. The weird thing is how Doug Ford has... Maybe industrialized it? <laughs> In the midst of Ford's September 5th press conference, Global's Colin DeMello, whom we already mentioned, posted on Twitter that <laughs> as Premier Doug Ford tries to remind the public of the good that the government has done, a list of his talking points are being rolled on a teleprompter. Ford's
0: responses, I can't call them answers, his responses would drift so far from the questions asked that I found myself wishing he had like Donald Trump's flair for stream of consciousness riffing, or at least that his staff would trust him to go into stream of consciousness riffing, because then we'd at least wind up with some suitably surreal departures from the subjects at hand. Still, the distance between what was asked and what was said is sufficiently epic (laughs) (laughs) uh, that I thought it would be really fun to play a game. And our managing editor, Annette, came up with the perfect name. What does the Ford say? So I'm going to play uh, a series of clips of different excerpts from Ford's responses, mostly at the September 5th press conference. Some, not all. Each of the cases is a snapshot of what his full lengthy response to the question was, just basically trying to run out the time. And keep in mind that reporters at these press conferences, they have to ask questions one at a time. You get a question and then you get a follow up and he can respond however he wants. Allison, I would like you to guess what the question originally asked
1: in each case was. So I have watched these press conferences, but not since they happened. I don't know if that's going to help or not, but that's where I'm at.
2: But with the support of Team Ontario, with the nurses and the frontline healthcare workers and the doctors and the manufacturers, uh, we made it through the pandemic. And I quoted the CBC saying, we're second best in the world when it came to the pandemic, making sure people are getting vaccinated. It wasn't me that was doing it, it was Team Ontario. What, do you th- what question do you
0: think he was responding to, Alison? <laughs>
1: Um, uh, why should uh, Ontarians have confidence in your government?
0: That's a very good guess. But uh, in, in fact, the question was a little more specific than that. Here was the actual question that was asked by uh, the Trillium's Charlie Pinkerton. Who is paying for the legal fees for yourself and others in the government uh, in the various investigations that have taken place and continue to take place in t- <clears throat> excuse me, into the Greenbelt?
1: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Ford also actually said he didn't have a lawyer in this case, which contradicts what the uh, integrity commissioner's report had said.
1: I mean, yeah, it's good to know that we made it through the pandemic, though. (laughs) Like Sometimes you just got to remind people of that. Okay, here's the second
2: one. The previous government stopped talking to the Ontario Medical Association. We have a great relationship with the OMA. We're in constant communication with the Ontario Hospital Association and the CEOs. We're making sure that when you go get a prescription, you don't have to go to your doctor uh, to get the most common prescriptions. You can go into a pharmacy and get them, and we're going to expand on that.
0: So what question was Ford answering in part by talking about the expanded availability of prescriptions?
1: (laughs) God, I have no idea. Um, How are Ontarians going to have confidence in your government?
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, many of these questions are, in fact, variations of that. Uh, The question was from, the original question was from the Narwhals' Emma McIntosh.
2: The the reports from the Integrity Commissioner and the Auditor General found that, you know, you and Minister Clark were not in control of what the government was doing. As you undertake this new review, how can Ontarians trust that you are in control now? So wider availability
0: of drugs is is his answer as to how Ontarians can can have greater trust that he's in control.
2: Okay, here's the next one. For instance, Premier Eby about the Bank of Canada. I'm sure he heard me complaining uh, for the last two months about the Bank of Canada. And I can assure you, the rest of the premiers, because I talk to him frequently, feel the exact same. There isn't a premier in any province or territory that believes that the Bank of Canada should raise interest rates. Isn't it unusual? Even the banks, three banks came out to criticize them. But you know something? I have a message to the Bank of Canada. You want to destroy people's lives? You want to watch people go bankrupt and lose their homes? Just raise the interest rates. It's gonna be on your hands.
1: Okay. Was he asked something like your own housing affordability task force said building lands on the green belts, not gonna bring down housing prices? Why do you th- think it, mm. this is a good idea.
0: That was a question he was asked at the press conference, or at a press conference. I think he was asked there. That wasn't the question here. Uh, the question here was actually from uh, the reporter from New outlet, Alison Allen S. Hale, who uh, offered a fairly delightful phrasing here. Given the fact that you have had one minister give himself, many of your your caucus and uh, some other party loyalists, a uh, minister. A, uh, a title of King's Council without you apparently knowing. <laughs> and now you've let uh, another minister sleepwalk you into a scandal where it looks like a, uh, where it looks to many people like a, a corrupt deal has happened. Maybe, is it time for you to maybe check in a bit more with what your uh, ministers are doing and read documents before they come to cabinet? To which his answer was, Bank of Canada, you're on notice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be on your hands, Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. Next one.
2: We're investing over $30 billion, unprecedented, in building highways, be it 413, the Bradford Bypass, high-widening Highway 3, expanding Highway 7, building Highway 7 from Kitchener all the way to Guelph. Our, our province is growing like we've never seen. We're the fastest growing region in North America, bar none.
0: What do you think you was asked
2: here?
1: Why did you... Invite all those developers to your daughter's wedding.
0: <laughs> That's another good guess. I don't believe he was actually specifically asked that at this press conference. But in this case, it was another variation on like, what the hell are you doing? From the Trillium's in Shandy. At no point did, you know, you or anyone in your office really check in with Clark's office along the way. So are you not guilty of the same thing that Minister Clark resigned over? Twitch's answer is, well, here's a
1: list of highways you're (laughs) building. I like how (laughs) specific he got about building Highway Mm -hmm. 7 from Kitchener all the way to Guelph. Yeah, it's not just that he changes the subject, but that he
0: just goes into, I wouldn't even say goes in depth. But by the time I heard his performance, I hadn't yet seen uh, Colin DeMello's tweet about the teleprompter. But it did feel like he was going into a subject, dipping into it, wading around a little, splashing around, and then hopping over to another little point of another little thing he did, and just hopping into another one, like from paw, splashing from pond to pond, like a tadpole. <laughs> I don't know if tadpoles actually do that. Like Donald Trump, there's like a stream of consciousness, weird sort of almost. Not, it's a very it's the opposite of linear, but there's there's like a flow of his ideas connecting from one thing to another. Doug Ford, it's just like here's a thing I can spill fill space talking about. Here's another thing I can fill space talking about, and it's just this not this this without any particular. Order or a or, or reason behind it, just jumping into like here's the thing we did, here's another thing we did, to a point where it's yeah I mean it's pretty clearly contemptuous of the reporter. Uh, speaking of contemptuous of reporters, let me give you one from the August 31st press conference, and I'm sure you remember this answer. The question is, do you remember the question that prompted it?
2: Because I know you, Colin. A year down the road, if we don't have the homes, you're the first person that's going to be up here saying, why didn't you build the homes? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, Colin, guess what? We're going to build homes. We're going to build homes until people have the same opportunity that you have. You have a nice home down the street. But guess what? There's hundreds of thousands of people that don't have your opportunity, that don't have the good paying job that you have. That's the difference. So
0: you probably remember that answer.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I don't quite remember the first question Colin asked. I think his follow-up was, "How do you know where I live?" Premier.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't <laughs> even remember him.
1: <laughs> Maybe he didn't say it into the mic, but I'm I'm pretty sure that was uh part of the conversation. Um, what did he ask? Pretty general, pretty general. Is your housing minister going to resign?
0: No, this one was actually basically, "How can people trust you?" There's oh. a there's a long There's a long uh, preface to it, but let's just go to the the nub of it. At what point do, do you take personal responsibility here? And how are people to have trust in your leadership? So his response to how do I take personal responsibility is how do you take personal responsibility for where you live? And
2: finally. Another message to the Bank of Canada, enough is enough. You're trying to kill the economy. You personally are responsible for creating inflation. Companies do not want to invest into new equipment because of the interest rates. A lot of builders and people can't afford to get a mortgage because they're struggling. They're going to be losing their homes. That's on your shoulders. What do you think that was in response to?
1: Should we draw and quarter Tiff Macklem, governor of the Bank of Canada, Mr. Premier, Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what Charlie Pinkerton asked. It's like, fuck, how much do you fucking hate that governor of the Bank of Canada? Uh, no, the question was actually Charlie Pickerton simply following up his earlier one that the premier didn't answer about the legal fees. Do I g- gather correctly that you, you aren't aware of whether it's the government or the PC party or anyone else who's paying the legal fees for everyone under investigation in the government? or Or is there an
1: answer to that question?
0: Again... <laughs> Fuck Tiff Macklin.
1: Fuck Tiff Macklin. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of builders can't afford to get a mortgage. A weird thing to say. Um, companies don't want to invest in new equipment because of the interest rates. Okay. Yeah, it's something like weird because you know
0: in debates it almost feels like, you know, you, he has different sound bites on a soundboard and you press the button and he says a catchphrase. This was kinda of, yeah, kind of stranger than that. This wasn't just a soundboard-ish. This was what do, it's like word association, basically, with, with, with you know, except people flashing words on a screen. Then he has to say everything he think, can think of when you say transit. What do you say with transit? Digging more than anyone's ever dug. <laughs> <laughs> Farm, you know, pharmacies. Uh,
1: I mean, it makes me think of like, A, if you have to remember this much like cue card crap, how do you like even remember your four daughters names? Like I would run out of brain space. Mm-hmm. Although it'd be fun to like play some sort of trivia with Doug Ford, like a a round of bar trivia, but all the questions are like things the Ontario government is doing. He would kill it. The other thing, I mean, you mentioned how Donald Trump talks, Mm. but like it's true, like you can see Donald Trump remembering things and often Mm. like things from like 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's none of that like reflection. There's
0: nothing vaguely organic about it. Mm -hmm. Like Trump is... Deranged, but you can you can sort of see not the method in his madness, but just it's organic.
1: And the only time they do let him kind of go off script is they'll like give him one thing he can go off script about, and usually it's like I met this kid yesterday, and he told me this, and this is a true story about that. Like just mm-hmm. something very like fluffy that like if you screw it up, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I
0: mean, maybe they gave him the teleprompter the next one so that he wouldn't threaten any more reporters. Hold yeah. on! Threaten her. Doesn't want turn around. Like instead of directing your anger at Colin Demello, it at the governor of the Bank of Canada,
1: <laughs> our new enemy. <laughs> this was such a good idea for a game because I feel like this is the most Doug Ford we've ever played on this podcast. Like we talk about him all the time, but like most people don't listen to him talk about nonsense, right? Like you know, only I mean, a couple dozen people watch those press conferences. Realistically,
0: well. The whole thing with these press conferences in particular is that because they're in response to major breaking news, in the second case, you know, the first case being the Integrity Commissioner's Report, the second one, the September 5th one being in wake of uh, the resignation of his housing minister, they were broadcast live. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not everyone's necessarily listening to them, but they are on TVs all over the city. Even if the TV is muted and it's just the closed captioning on CP 24 this is this is going out. This is being broadcast. This is all over. And I think the reason we don't play a lot of him is because he just spouts bullshit. <laughs> and there's a limited value in repeating that, uh, except in the context of uh, showing what showing what the context of the bullshit was.
1: And I will say when you're like a reporter in a press conference like this and a, a politician, be it Doug Ford or somebody else, is like you can – all the reporters basically stop listening, right? Like cause you can't like mm. retain that much attention to just crap you've already heard before. So there is a lot of like excitement builds as like a question's an- asked, and then the politician just starts spouting a whole bunch of nothingness and then it kind of deflates until like somebody else gets to ask another question. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: the the goal of I think any scrum or press conference is trying to ask something the answer to which couldn't reasonably be predicted. Right. It it can be challenging, especially when someone has a teleprompter to remind them of all the different fallback lines, which just seems cheating. If you're going to pivot, just have – anyway –
1: I mean, I don't think anyone could have guessed that that's how he would respond yep. <laughs> to talk about um, pharmaceuticals. I mean, one other thing that stood out to me in those press conference is like Doug Ford, as much as he was meandering into pools of puddles of nonsense, there were points where he's talking about housing specifically that mm-hmm. like you can hear real frustration in his voice. Mm-hmm. If we indulge us for a minute and think what he must be thinking here, like, he just last year won an election where he campaigned on getting housing built. And, like, I do believe him when he says that he constantly hears from people that want to be able to afford to buy a house or from people whose kids can't move out or uh, hears about refugees living in church basements in Etobicoke. That's something specific he's mentioned a few times. And, like, as Premier of Ontario, he... Thinks he has the power to solve this problem, or at least partially solve this problem. Which he, I mean, he does. He does, right? And he's surrounded by people who are telling him, "We need more housing supply. We need more supply. We need more supply." Over and over again. He talks to developers who tell him, "Like, we will build ten thousand houses or fifty thousand houses if you help us in this way or that, change the land right and M Z O, this yeah. sort of thing." And every time his government does something like that, like passes a housing bill, signs an MZO, changes mm-hmm. something like in any drastic way or bold way, he gets backlash from all sides. And lots of that's political backlash. So fine, he's used to it. But he's also got developers who are, are refusing to build on rezone land because stuff's too expensive or because the market for new builds like looks shaky right now. He's also got municipalities saying they can't afford to build roads and pipes to the the subdivisions that are being rezoned because the province cut the development fees in order to incentivize building, but the builders won't build. I mean, it's got to be frustrating, right? (laughs) And then reporters asking him all these questions. So he decides to be very bold and open up the Greenbelt to housing. Even though he knows that's mm. a big political risk, like, and we're seeing that in the polls now. Like, the one thing that has always pulled very high in Ontario is, like, people like the Greenbelt. And it's now backfiring mm. massively. I mean,
0: any everyone has a difficult time conceptualizing systems. That's almost the nature of being human, is trying to understand systems and countless things that work together or don't work together and interact. like that. It's very hard to wrap your head around, but thankfully we do have public policy professionals whose specific job is to try to reconcile all that and find solutions given the knowledge of all of these various levers and things that touch everything else. Doug Ford, he likes the tangible. He likes the immediate. And he seems to have been under the mistaken impression that opening up parcels of the Green Belt to development would have an immediate tangible result in terms of building houses that he could point to and said, look, I did that.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Totally. And I think that's why he also thinks that if he says uh, Bank of Canada, you're on notice or developers, you're on notice if you don't start building, Mm -hmm. um, he thinks that will like achieve the action that's not being Mm -hmm. achieved by all this other complicated stuff that's going on. Yeah.
0: If he just goes up to someone and says, hey, buddy, listen to me, do this.
1: And his sense of frustration with complicated systems... (laughs) Actually reminded me of a play, Jono, that okay. we both saw this month, uh, The Wonderful Master Plan, which was written by Canadian... The play just called The Master Plan. The, not Master... the
0: play is a wonderful play called The Master Plan, not The Wonderful Master Plan, which is a, one of the sixth book in the Oz series. No, not really, but
1: anyway. <laughs> uh, which is written by Canadian playwright Michael Healy and based on a book about the Sidewalk Labs city controversy by The Globe's Josh O'Kane.
0: The show was playing at Crows Theatre until October 8th and watching it i kind of felt sad because i knew i could think of so many people i know who would so who would just love it but who probably would never see it because it would simply never occur to them to go to a play which is to say if you listen to this podcast or followed me on twitter it's it's probably up your alley
1: so there's a point in the play and i don't think can you spoil the play i don't think can, so can you spoil
0: recent history
1: it's hard <laughs> When the character of...
0: Spoiler, Sidewalk Labs did not
1: work out. It did not. Uh, and the character of Dan Doktoroff, who was the then executive of Sidewalk Labs, a Google subsidiary, he's expressing his frustration of having to spend two years in Toronto trying to get in the right room with the right people to get his the smart city vision moved along. And he's like dejected and pissed at this point. And he just can't believe that how many layers of opposition and backlash and bureaucracy he's up against and how there just doesn't seem to be anyone in the city, the province or the country with the ability to like unilaterally get it done.
0: He's hoping that there's some like Robert Moses like figure or entity or something that just actually has the power to do the thing and instead finds that Canada, Toronto in particular, it's a morass of often competing interests and regulations that are, for the most part, there for a very good reason. Uh, from things like you know the computer leasing inquiry, which I mentioned you know at the top of the show, uh, things that we've layered on rule after rule after rule, which explains why like you know in order to do this thing, you got to make sure this other thing is done, and it's imp- and it's infinitely complicated. But it also, but it, you know, the upside is that prevents people from unilaterally getting something done, which, uh, you know, can turn out pretty can turn out pretty poorly.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of where Doug Ford feels like he is with housing. He's like, why can't I be Robert Moses? Like, why can't why can't I get it done? Mm. Like, I keep trying to get it done and it's not getting done. (laughs) But like handling billions in Greenbelt wealth to a couple of developers or letting Google colonize the Toronto Portland's into a digital data harvesting neighborhood. Like, both those things are bad. But Healy's Uh play also makes the point that the diffuseness or the morass of Canadian bureaucracy, like you said, means that it's actually a lot easier for nothing to get done at all. And that when things (laughs) remain status quo, it's the people who are currently rich and powerful who benefit. And mm. where we are now, like the Keyside lands remain undeveloped. And like, despite what Ford considers his best efforts, like, <laughs> are any houses getting built? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's like
0: our body politic has an overactive immune system, as it were. Like our, our antibodies or T cells or whatever are basically any sort of outside weird threat. It doesn't always successfully fend off, but it's pretty good at rebuffing these the, these incursions. At the same time, it also, you know, tends to... Rebuff even well constructed, careful efforts to effect real, significant, substantial change.
1: Yeah, and I don't like. I don't know exactly what the lesson is here. Like, it's good to have safeguards against strong men or strong tech companies that want to barrelhead with bad hmm. ideas. But yeah, like you said, I think well the same point you made is what Healy's trying to make, that there there's flaws in the Canadian process that ultimately hamstring any bold action.
0: The point that I took him as making, and I I don't know to what extent this is a reflection of, of Josh Kane's book, um, but that, you know, it's very easy to be very glad that to be almost even proud of Toronto for how it fended off this Google colonization. I think we can be really I think you can almost take for granted that like we're all breathing a sigh of relief that we, Toronto for once had its own dignity and rebuffed that and stood up for itself and told them all to fuck off. But I think what the play does is it complicates that notion. It looks, it, it opens up the question of like, okay, if we can all agree that that was the case, what is it that we do have? What is it that we do do? It's like, okay, we successfully told this to fuck off. What are we doing instead? And what happens when we actually do get a bold solution or something that would actually address the challenges of the, well, not the challenge of the future, the challenges of the present? How would we react then or are our systems set up to actually accommodate that?
1: Well, and, and like the way that we cheered on the sidewalk labs uh, dissolution, you know, people are taking credit and cheering on the fact that, like, the housing minister, Steve Clark, resigned. But I think, yeah, like, the other question needs to be, like, okay, these things lost, but, like, who stays winning, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and that's something Healy, you know, raises when he talks about, like, the benefits and the status quo. And in the context of the Green Belt and the housing crisis, in a lot of ways it's, like, not actually guys like Silvio de Gasparis who... Win. He did win. <laughs> He's going to personally benefit to the tune of billions of dollars, assumably, according to the Auditor General, by building houses on his land. But, like, what's actually the thing that's actually being protected and the actual status quo that remains untouched through all of this right is the the home values of the wealthy and like the ability for real estate to be continued to be used as a tool of financialization and it's very interesting to me that during we've had Two years now, basically, of conversation about the Ontario housing crisis. And, you know, I mean, even longer than that, if we look at the rest of Canada, where it's all everybody's been talking about since I've been an adult, basically. And the one thing that, like, politicians and political strategists and policymakers and the chattering class refuse to reckon with or honestly even talk about, mm-hmm. really mention it's capitalism. Capitalism and like more specifically like the roles of investors in the real estate market and how reliant Canada is on the capital that's Mm -hmm. in our real estate market and everybody's mortgages. The Globe had an amazing story in June about the number of new housing units that have been purchased by investors. And I think it was like by investors that own at least three properties. So it's not even just a super small time investors. And in London, Ontario, in 2020, it was 94%. And since 2020, rents have skyrocketed in that city. So I just were willing to have any other conversation like... Should we build homes on floodplains? Should we water down the building code? Should we pave forests and farmlands? Should we disempower the local governments? But like the untouchable holy grail is Mm -hmm. the idea that people should be able to buy and profit off as many residential properties as they want. Like everything's on the table but that, right? Oh, well, I mean, I I suppose the idea of abolishing private property altogether
0: also isn't on the table. But that could be a solution.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's why we can't ever feel bad for Doug Ford or like the frustrated. No, I mean, <laughs> but I think, you know, you can hear his frustration, but he's yeah. still protecting, you know, his own class interest. Right. Yeah, I don't think
0: anyone, anyone doubts that except maybe <laughs> Ford himself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And, like, yeah, because even if Ford doesn't own investment property, and I don't believe he does, like, you can be damn sure many of his friends and family members and associates do at least 19 members of the PC caucus are landlords. Many of their friends and family members, I'm sure, are. So, like, there's a huge swath of the population who want to continue to, yeah, get wealthy and just keep the status quo the exactly the way it is, which, like, I just want to bring back very quickly to... What we mentioned off the top is the five hundred thousand dollar modular homes that Mm -hmm. he's now proposing that we're going to build on Crown land, I guess. And like, mostly, I don't think this will happen at all. (laughs) But I think there could be an interesting way where that, like, that puts the lie to all of this because how do you a price uh, hundreds or thousands of homes all at the same price and. Mm allow that to be work in our current real estate market conditions and like can the government like will the government set the price like what to what ends will they go to try to craft this new applause line into a reality and like how much will it show the inability of housing to and housing supply right like more supply more supply to actually make a difference in price because it's all just on a, sitting on a pile of bullshit and we just can't talk about the bullshit.
0: If we do talk about the bullshit, Doug Ford will probably ask about our personal housing situations. <laughs> right. And now it's time for Foreseeable
1: Disaster of the Month. What's your foreseeable disaster, Alison? Um, the, the liberal leadership race, which they're doing again. They did in 2020. And now it's time for one more to replace... Stephen Del Duca, I almost forgot his name. I thought that the race might be feistier because there's more contestants that seem a little bit hungrier to win. They have some of them seem to not like each other. And then I watched their first debate last week, and it was exactly like those debates from 2020 that Mm. we watched that they just sat there and basically agreed with each other and talked about the future of the Liberal Party for like 90 minutes. It was so boring. And I don't know. I don't think that party's going to be that good at rebuilding after watching that. Sorry, guys. What's your foreseeable disaster, Jono? My foreseeable disaster is that, well,
0: TVO remains on strike. But really, of course, as we've been talking, is the Canadian media gold workers at TVO that are on strike. There is a, at least one other union at TVO, which is Unifor 72M. And their contract, their collective agreement is up at the, at or near the end of the year. Uh, so there is a possibility that the CMG workers could be out on strike and that the Unifor workers could also go out on strike. And I don't actually know how it stays on the air after that, except for I believe Chorus Global actually is the ones who, <laughs> the ones who actually do the year, the 24-hour day keeping it on the air. So uh, my foreseeable disaster is that uh, the TVO's CMG workers will remain on strike for another three months and that at a certain point, the Unifor workers at TVO will join them.
1: And that was Like the Doug, a show about chaotic and almost reckless deception. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and I'm
0: sort of between social media networks at the moment, but I'm about to try out Blue Sky and we'll see how that goes. I also occasionally host Shortcuts, which is the media criticism show that runs on the main Candleland feed.
1: I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at QueensparkToday.
0: Our producer is Katie Loranet. at Jofo is our managing editor, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley.
1: Our podcast is listener-supported. Go to canadaland.com slash join to help us keep this podcast going. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Included
2: with Prime. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more